Let us pray. Lord, at this time, as we center our hearts, as we focus on what you have to say to us this morning, as we prepare ourselves to read and to hear this word that was written, we ask that you bless the proclamation and the hearing of it. Lord, as always, it is our prayer that no matter how familiar or unfamiliar this passage may be, that your truth will somehow speak to us through it, that your spirit will touch our hearts in profound ways and use this moment in your presence to shape us into a more Christ-like people. Bless this time that we have here among each other and in the presence of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 19 through 49. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Eli fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man, to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. 
And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came near and drew to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, And struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know that was a long passage and I'm sorry that you had to stand up for all of it, but... It was, it's such a good story, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a great one. There's a reason why that is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's just through and through. It is a wonderful, wonderful story. Last week we started this series, and we're, start, we're doing this series on the life of David, the events in his life and, and how they affected his faith and how they affected the, the future of Israel. And uh, as I said last week, the challenge with that is familiarity. We are very familiar with David, at least most of us, I think, or at least with this story, if nothing else. In fact, David is mentioned more time in the Bible than, than Jesus himself. So the challenge is, how do we approach these stories of David? How do we approach David's life with fresh eyes, with a fresh, with a fresh heart, ready to receive something new? And this story certainly... Uh, brings that challenge because we're so familiar with it. In fact, I would say that this story was probably the biggest story of my own childhood. Uh, when I was a, a kid, I had uh, many, many children's Bibles, you know, with the, the illustrations and the big letters, and they're all paraphrased, of course. But my favorite thing to do whenever I got a new one was to turn right to David and Goliath and see how that story was told in that book. Because it was, I mean, it's the same story, but it's a different version of it or or a different take on it with different pictures in every book. So I love to do that. 
I was probably a, a strange kid because while most kids were playing with action, hero, action heroes that were, you know, G.I. Joes or He-Man or whatever, I, I had a David and Goliath action figure set. When I would play in the swimming pool with my dad, we had this game where, where I would pretend to sling a stone at him and he was Goliath and then he would fall on me and it would make a great big splash. When I was in the backyard, I would quote... You come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you at the name of the Lord. And I would put this little rock in a belt and twirl it around and try not to break any windows and throw it at a tree. And one day I thought, I'm really going to teach that Goliath a lesson today. And so I picked up this rock. It was more like a boulder. It's about the size of my head, uh, the size my head is now, not, not as a child. But I took this, this huge rock and balanced it on this little belt. And I tried to do like this and swing it around and it went flying up in the air and it came down on my toe and knocked my big toenail off. So my commitment to this story as a child was deep. I loved this story. I think most people know this story. It's in our culture. Whenever you see an underdog defeat somebody that they're not supposed to in the sporting world or something like that, people always say it's a David and Goliath story. It's very familiar to us. It's what David is best known for to most people. But what's important and what I want to talk about today is it's not all that he's known for. Now, if this was the only thing significant that David did in his whole life, that would have been okay. It still would have been a great story in the Bible. It still would have made it into Scripture and we would still be talking about his faith and how God provided for David and saw David through. But it's not all there is to David. Last week we talked about his anointing and how God sought him out and said, that guy has the heart that the future king of Israel needs. That guy is in a deep relationship with me. And that's why David's life was so much more than this one story. David was not what we call a one-hit wonder. A one-hit wonder, if you don't know, is... A term used in music for a band or a musician who has one big popular song and then they never really do anything else. I'm sure you know some one-hit wonders. Achy Breaky Heart. The Macarena. Everyone was Kung Fu fighting. There's a lot of those songs where somebody hits it big, they get in the charts, they get this, this moment of wonderful notoriety for this one thing that they've done, and then it just kind of fizzles out. And it's not just in music. We see it in other areas of life, too. We certainly see it in the sports world. James Buster Douglas was someone that Mike Tyson was supposed to knock out. Just another guy Mike Tyson was supposed to knock out. And he knocked out Mike Tyson and took away the heavyweight championship. And then he lost it a few months later to Evander Holyfield, never to regain it, never to have a really significant fighting career after that. And went back to becoming a, a brick mason. He was a one-hit wonder. Known for one great thing. And it was a great thing that he did. But there was nothing else to it. Now, the phenomenon of one-hit wonders, uh, especially in music, it, it, uh, it came about in the 1950s. 
when you had these artists like Chuck Berry and Little Richard, and they were they had these hits, they had this 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 new kind of music that really appealed to people. And so then you had these other guys who were uh, not teenagers; they were older. They were entrepreneurs. They were businessmen, and they said, "I could make a lot of money with that." And so what they would do is they would pick out somebody who was attractive who was talented, who could really get the girls to scream or, or whatever it was, and they would write a song for that person, and they would produce that record. And this song had a formula. It would be an intro that was no longer than five seconds, a verse that was no longer than 20 seconds, and by 30 seconds into the song, you're in the chorus, which is the hook. And of course, that couldn't last too long either. And it had to be on a familiar chord progression, so that everybody would know it. It had to be at a moderate pace, about 120 beats per minute. There was a strict formula to writing a hit. And once you wrote one, you could find the person to present it. And they would be a flash in the pan. It would be a sugar high. Everybody would love that hit and that person for a limited time. And then that was it. It was based on a formula. David was more than a one-hit wonder. Because he did not stick to a formula. Saul tried to give him a formula. Saul said, here, take this helmet, take this shield, take this this coat of mail. This is what all my soldiers wear. Use this sword. If you're going out to fight in place of my soldiers, you're going to dress like one of my soldiers. And David put it on and it didn't fit. It didn't work for him. And he said, I can't do this. This is not what, what God would have me do. I have not tested this armor. It's uncomfortable for me. This formula does not work for what God is calling me to do. David did not fit the mold. He was special. He had a very unique relationship with God. His faith was not a one-size-fits-all. He was going in the direction that God was specifically calling him to go. Now, a lot of times with us, we take a sort of one-size-fits-all approach to our faith. We say, read this scripture, pray this prayer, be here at this place, do that, and then you will have faith. And then once you have that faith, then read this scripture, pray this prayer, sing these songs, and then you will be able to be the Christian God wants you to be. And we, and we try to put it all in a box. The thing is, a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God, does not fit in a box. It is unique and it is special. It's different for every one of us because it's just that. It's a relationship. And so we can't say, this scripture worked for me, this prayer worked for me, and so you take this scripture, this prayer, this, this act of service, and you'll have the same faith I do. No, it's deeply personal. And there's a deep commitment. It involves the heart. And that's what David had. He had a relationship and he had a heart after God. When we try to box our faith in to a certain formula or even the life of the church, if we try to box that into a certain formula, what ends up happening is we, we end up trying to relive the past. And we make statements like, remember when I was on fire for God and I did this and this. Remember when we had the heyday of our church and we did this and this. Remember back in the 1970s when we had such and such attendance. Or back in the 80s when we had these programs going on. Or remember, remember, remember. We have all these things that we point back to. And we can never recapture them. 
And if David's heart was not truly after God's, his entire life could have been, remember when I beat the giant? Remember when I knocked down Goliath? But David had a heart after God, which meant that his heart followed God's heart. He had a passion for doing what God longed. Now, in this passage, the the soldiers, they're saying, yeah, whoever defeats Goliath, they're going to get this and they're going to be rich. They're going to have the king's daughter. But David's unconcerned with that. David says, I'm not going to let somebody defy the Lord this way. Because what was important to David was what was important to God. We talk about one-hit wonders with bands, with musicians. But there's a lot of bands who they may have one song that you're familiar with, a popular song. And then once you get to digging a little deeper, you realize they're actually a really good band. And I don't really consider them a one-hit wonder because they may have spent 10, 15 years crafting music. And they may have lots of undiscovered music under the surface that once you get to looking at it, you say, wow, they actually were a good band. What separates them from the one-hit wonders is that they have depth, they have consistency, and they have heart. David had all of those. He had depth because of his deep relationship with God. It continued after his anointing. Remember last week we talked about Samuel coming and saying, this is the guy. God has seen his heart and this is the one who will be the king over Israel. At that point, David could have said, all right, I punched my ticket in, but he didn't. He continued to have this relationship with God, a deep relationship with God. David had consistency. Because of this consistency in his relationship, he was in tune to God. He was in tune to God's instruction. When we get used to listening to God, we can hear God a lot better. David's dad said, "Go out there and take your brother some food." That was man's instruction. Go out there and take your brothers some food. And when David went out there, he heard God telling him to do something else. And it was that consistency, that deep developed relationship that allowed him to hear God steering him somewhere else. And then, of course, David had heart. Just as we said last week, David's heart belonged to God. And David's heart followed God's heart. And I think it's ironic you look at this passage His brother is is saying, there is evil in your heart. His brother, who was too cowardly to fight the giant, is telling David, there is evil in your heart. After God has looked and said, this guy's got the right kind of heart. David's heart followed God. There are two ways to pursue excellence in life. There are two ways to pursue success, I should say. One is to pursue that moment of success. To say, that is my goal, that is the thing I want to do, and that's what I'm shooting for, and you pursue that moment. The other way to have success is to pursue a successful life. To pursue a life of excellence. And then you will have a series of successful moments and victories because that becomes your pursuit. The difference is in comparing... Mark Rippon to Tom Brady. And I know I've used Tom Brady as, as examples before. You'll have to bear with me. It's, it's, it's him or Nick Saban, so y'all take your pick. I'll go with Tom Brady in this crowd. I see the thumbs up back there. All right, so 
So Mark Ripken was, was an NFL quarterback in the early 90s who never really did much of anything, but he was the quarterback for the Washington Redskins that beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl and then never really did anything else. Now, Mark Ripken, or Rippon is a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. But that one moment of success defined his career. And it wasn't long after that that he was washed up. He was done. Tom Brady has won five Super Bowls, more than any other quarterback. And at the beginning of this season, when a reporter asked him, which one is your favorite, his response was, the next one. You see, the pursuit of excellence, the pursuit of sustained success is different than the pursuit of a successful moment. And that's what David teaches us. David could have said, this is the one thing God has laid out for me to do with my life and I'm going to do it. And then that could have been it. But David's heart and his relationship with God was, was so much so that, that he wasn't going to be defined by one moment. This was just one more victory along the way because he was pursuing God. For the church, what do we pursue? Do we pursue flares of success? Do we look at at something that we've done, pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, we did something good? Or do we want to be on a journey that is a lifelong pursuit of victory? Do we want to be pursuing all that God has to offer us and all that God is challenging us to do day in and day out? David's defeat of Goliath was a wonderful moment in his life. It was a wonderful moment in the history of Israel. And it's a wonderful testimony of what faith in God can produce. But it wasn't just a one-time flare of success. It was an accomplishment that came about because of a sustained commitment to God and because of a pure heart that wanted to follow God wherever he led. David was unafraid to break the mold. He was unafraid to go against the formula and simply go where God led him. We can do the same. We can develop deep, committed, heartfelt relationships with God that will lead to not just one moment of success, but a lifetime of victory. The God we serve is mighty and powerful and strong. And if we're deeply committed to pursuing Him, we will be pursuing excellence in the process. The story of our faith, the story of our church, should never end with the words, remember when. That's not what God intended. God wants our story to be a lifelong testimony of his power. Let us pray. Lord, we confess before you that there are times where we have fallen back on past successes, past achievements, and we've sort of rested on those. And we ask for your forgiveness in doing that. We ask that you give us instead hearts that chase after your heart. Give us the desire, the longing to be in a deep and committed relationship with you so that we can hear your voice consistently 
That we can go where you lead, not in pursuit of one successful moment, not in pursuit of flares of success, but in pursuit of excellence, which is your calling for the church. Help us to become holy as you are holy. Help us to become all that you long for us to be. And help us to make a lifelong journey towards that. We pray these things in the holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is, O God, our help in ages past. It's in your United Methodist hymnal. It's hymn number 117. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you, I encourage you to come forward and share that with us. As always, the altar is open for anyone who wishes to come forward and spend some time in prayer with God. Please stand if you are able and join us in singing. Hymn number 117.